I want to pray before we get started, okay? Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name, realizing that apart from you, I am nothing. Lord, I realize that no matter how convincing I may be, no matter how powerful my words may sound, apart from your Holy Spirit touching a heart, nothing eternal will happen. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our midst today. I ask you to move me out of the way. Lord, remove every distraction so that you can speak and your will can be done. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our everything. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we get started this morning. Where will you spend eternity? Where are you going to spend eternity? Now, most of us probably never think about that. At least we try not to think about it because we don't want to focus on the hereafter. We want to focus on the here and now. But that's a question that each and every one of us needs to think about because one day, someday, every single one of us will die. No matter how healthy you are, no matter how young or old you are, one day, someday, you're going to die. And after death comes eternity. You see, death is not the end of you. You don't cease to exist when you die. You just move on into eternity. And so where will you spend eternity? There are only two places. There are only two possibilities. One of them is heaven, the, the presence of God. And heaven is a wonderful place. Heaven is a, a beautiful place. The Bible says that the eye has not seen, the, the ear has not heard, neither has the mind been able to conceive the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is going to be far greater than anything any of us could ever imagine. Tomorrow morning, bright and early, my wife and I are going to the Columbia Airport to get on an airplane to go to Hawaii. And Hawaii is a pretty place. And we are so looking forward to going there and spending some time together. And when we get there, we're going to hike in some rainforest. And we're going to hike up to some waterfalls. And we're going to zip line down a mountain and we're going to lay on some beautiful sandy beaches and and look at some blue water and we're going to enjoy God's creation but what you need to understand is the most beautiful places that we could ever visit here on this earth pale in comparison to what God has in store for us in heaven the eye hasn't seen, the ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered our mind what God has prepared for us. But the thing that makes heaven so great is that God's going to be there. In the second to last chapter of the Bible, we are told that, that John saw this new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. You, you see, the Bible teaches that, that even though we see a lot of beautiful things here on this earth, everything we see is marred by sin. It is tainted by sin. But one day God is going to take this world that is marred and tainted by sin and he's going to destroy it. 
And then he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And then we are told that the new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven and the dwelling place of God will be with us and God will dwell with his people. You see, the most wonderful thing about heaven is that God is going to be there with us. Now we see through a glass darkly. Now we try to understand God. Now we experience God as best we can, but we see through a glass darkly. But then we will see him face to face. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that day when we go into his presence and we see him face to face? So there's heaven, this beautiful place that, that our, our, our minds can't conceive, our ears haven't seen, our, our ears haven't heard, our eyes haven't seen. It's going to be incredible. God's going to be there. And some of us are going to spend eternity in heaven. But there's another place, a place that the Bible calls hell. And the reality is, I want you to listen to me. The reality is the Bible teaches that the overwhelming majority of people that live on planet Earth, the overwhelming majority of people who have ever lived on planet Earth will not spend eternity in heaven. They will spend eternity in another place, this place called hell. You see, we have this idea that, that most people are going to go to heaven and that, that hell is going to be reserved for the worst of the worst. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that most people are going to end up in hell. And just as the Bible tells us that heaven is this place that is so wonderful that our minds can't even conceive, hell is so terrible that our minds can't even conceive it. The Bible describes hell in a variety of ways. It says that it is a fire that never goes out. We are told that it is a place of outer darkness. We are told that it is a place of loneliness. We are told that it is a place of torment. But most of all, hell is a place without God. Now, some of you who, who do not yet have a relationship with God may say that's okay. I would love to live my life without God, and I would love to spend eternity without God. But what you need to understand is that you were created by God, and you were created for God. And the truth of the matter is, you are never going to find what you're looking for apart from God. Some of you are, are filling your life with the things of this world thinking that they're going to bring you peace and joy and happiness when the things of this world will never bring you those things. You see, you were created by God for a relationship with God. And until that relationship is established, there will be a void in your life. And so imagine, imagine going into eternity separated from the one that you were created to live with. We think that, that since we're going to be in hell with all of our friends, but we're not because it's a place of loneliness. We think that we're going to have happiness and joy and peace and all of these other things, but you're never going to have that apart from a relationship with God. And if you're in hell separated from God, the one that created you for a relationship, you're never going to have those things. Hell is going to be a place of eternal torment 
and agony and sorrow because what we were created for, we're never going to experience. And so eternity is coming. And there's only two places that we can spend eternity. Heaven with God, a place that's going to be beauty without end, or hell, a place without God, a, a place where there is agony and suffering and pain and darkness. Every one of us is going to spend eternity in one of those two places. And I think that, that the overwhelming majority of us, regardless of where we are morally, regardless of where we are spiritually, most of us would choose A. We want to go to heaven. We want to go to the place of beauty. We want to go to the place of joy, the place of happiness, the place of peace. And so the question we have to ask is, how do we get to heaven? Now here's the problem. Most people don't know. Did you hear me? Most people don't know. Now, now some of you are saying, well, I know that people out there, outside of our doors, they don't know. I know that, that people in other parts of the world who have never heard the Bible, who have never been told about Jesus, they don't know. But I want you to understand that I believe that most of us don't know. I, I believe that, that most of us who were in church regularly don't know. We have this idea of what will get us to heaven, but we really don't understand what the Bible teaches. If I were to ask you how to get to heaven, some of you would say, well, be good. Be kind. Treat people the way you want to be treated. If I do these things, I will go to heaven. Others of you will give an answer something like this. Well, go to church. Read your Bible. Give money to good causes. Pray. And we think those things are going to get us to heaven. And then some of us, we're going to go even further than that. We're going to say, well, you've got to believe in God. And some of us are even going to go further than that and go, no, it's not just believing in God. You've got to believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, then you'll go to heaven. But Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this. He said, there is a way that seems right to man. It makes sense. It's logical. But then he said, but in the end, it leads to death. Did you get that? There's a way that seems right. It's logical. It makes sense. But, but it doesn't lead to heaven. It leads to hell. It doesn't bring life. It brings death. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, said this in the book of James. He said, you believe that there is one God? Good, great, wonderful. The devil also believes that, and he trembles. You see, I can believe in God, I can believe in Jesus, and never go to heaven. The truth of the matter is, listen, the truth of the matter is, Satan knows more about Jesus than you do. Did you hear me? 
Satan knows more about Jesus than you do. Satan knows that Jesus was born of a virgin. Remember, Satan tried to kill him. Remember that? Satan knows that Jesus lived a perfect life. You remember Satan spent three years trying to get Jesus to sin. Do you remember that? Satan knows that Jesus died on a cross, and when Jesus died and breathed what he thought was his last breath, Satan did a happy dance. He thought he had defeated Jesus. Satan knows all of that. And Satan knows on the third day Jesus rose from the grave. He saw it. He experienced it. He was probably there as an observer. But Satan isn't going to heaven. The Bible makes it very clear that Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of fire and he is going to spend eternity there. You see, it's not just a matter of believing in God. It's not just a matter of believing in Jesus. And I am so terribly afraid that many of us have this idea that because we have this intellectual knowledge about who God is, who Jesus is, and we go to church and we carry our Bible and we pray and we put some money in the plate and we do all of these other things. We try our best and we live by a, a biblical moral code. We, we think somehow, some way that that's going to get us to heaven. But it's not. It's not. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, a religious man, a, a man who by the world standards, would have been considered a righteous man. By the world standards, he was a good man. He wasn't a hypocrite. He was a good man. And yet Jesus told this good man, this religious man, that unless you're born again, you can't get to heaven. Jesus told him that, that flesh gives birth to flesh, but, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised when I say you have to be born again. God's spirit has to make you new. Listen carefully. There is no salvation apart from a spiritual birth. There is no salvation apart from the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and making us brand new. It doesn't matter how many prayers we've prayed. It doesn't matter how many times we've been dunked in a pool. It doesn't matter how many perfect attendance pins we've got going to Sunday school as a kid. None of those things are going to matter. We have to be born Again, we have to have a relationship with God. And so how do we get that relationship? Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 3. And I want to give you three things in Matthew chapter 3. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. When we open up the, the first chapter of the book of Matthew, we, we see the story of Jesus' birth. We're told about his lineage, and we're told how Mary became pregnant even though she had not had sexual relations. And we're told how Joseph went ahead and married her, and how Mary gave birth to Jesus, who would be the Savior of the world. 
We're told how these wise men came and visited Jesus and Mary and Joseph. We're told all of that, and then it's as if 30 years passes, and we don't have any record of what happened during those 30 years. And then in Matthew chapter 3, we're told about this prophet that God sends. And this prophet has come to prepare the way of Jesus. And as he prepares the way, I believe he gives us a road map, step by step, of what it takes to have eternal life, what it takes to go to heaven. And so I want to give this to you, just walk you through it, and, and then we're going to close, okay? Here's step one. If you want to go to heaven, you have to repent and turn to God. If you want to go to heaven, you have to repent. Say that word with me. Repent. Say it again. Say it one more time. You have to repent and turn to God. Listen to what it says in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, Jesus said the very same thing as he began his earthly ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Listen very carefully. Before I can ever place my faith in Jesus, I have to repent of my sins. There is no salvation apart from repentance. Many people have never heard that. We hear this, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But the Bible says that we have to repent. We have to turn from our sins before we can ever even believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear that the only response we can make is to repent of our sin when we come face to face with a holy God. From cover to cover, the Bible makes that clear. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets proclaimed this. Ezekiel said, repent and turn from your idols. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. When Peter preached at Pentecost and the people were cut to their heart and they said, what do we need to do? He said, repent and be baptized. Later on, in his second sermon, he said, repent and be converted. The apostle Paul said, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, there are several truths that we see in these verses. First of all, repentance is a command. It's not optional. Listen, if you want to go to heaven, you have to repent of your sins. That's not an option. That's not a choice that you can make. If you want to spend eternity in heaven, you have to repent of sin. The second thing you need to understand is this. If you don't repent, you will perish. It doesn't matter how many prayers you prayed. 
It doesn't matter how many tears you've shed. It doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized. If you haven't repented, you will perish. And then third, repentance and faith go hand in hand. If we repent, that will lead us to faith. If we have true faith, it will be the byproduct of repentance. So what is repentance? What is repentance? Well, biblically, the, the word simply means a change of mind that results in a change of life. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of life. Uh, repentance is, is like this. I'm going down the road of life, and, and I'm headed one way. I'm headed my way. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm going the wrong way. And I turn, and I start going the other way. That's repentance. It's a change of mind. I realize I'm going the wrong way. I've changed my mind. I don't want to go the wrong way anymore. But then I've changed my direction. I'm now going in a different way. Did you get that? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Now, how does that happen? First of all, we have to recognize our sin. I'm never going to change my mind about sin until I recognize my sin. That's why the Bible says in this chapter that the people came to John confessing their sins. You see, I will never repent until I admit, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Some of you, your problem is you're morally okay. You've never done anything bad. You've never slept around. You've never got drunk. You've never stolen anything. And so you look at your life and you say, I'm a good person. And you know what the Bible says about that? It says it's a lie. The Bible says no one is good, not even one of us. It doesn't matter how moral you have been. You are not a good person. And you have to recognize that you are a sinner before you can ever be saved. And so if you're here this morning and you're sitting in that chair and you're thinking, I've never done anything bad, then I'm here to tell you that you've never been saved. Look at me. I don't care whether you're 8 or 88. If you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm not that bad, you've never been saved. Because the first thing that's going to happen when repentance begins to take place is you are going to recognize your sin. And understand, sin is not just breaking God's moral code. Sin is rebelling against God's authority in your life. Sin is saying, I can do it my way better than God's way. It's saying, I want to sit on the throne rather than allowing God to sit on the throne. And so that can be as simple as, listen, that can be as simple as young people who aren't married saying, I'm going to determine who I'm going to marry rather than letting God show you who to marry. Rejecting God's authority in your life could be as simple as saying, I want to be a doctor. I don't care that God is telling me he wants me to be whatever else it may be. 
We believe that our plan is better than God's plan. So we've got to recognize our sin. The second thing we have to do if we're going to repent is we're going to have remorse over our sin. We recognize it, I've sinned, and then we're going to have remorse over it. And in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached, it says the people were cut to the heart. What do you think that means? Does it mean that, that Peter literally got a knife and he cut their chest open? No. What it is saying is the Holy Spirit broke their hearts over their sin. I can remember it as if it were yesterday when the Holy Spirit broke my heart over sin. Before that day, before that moment, when my parents caught me doing something wrong, when they caught me lying, when they caught me disobeying, man, I cried. But it wasn't the Holy Spirit convicting me. It was the fact that I got caught, and I knew I'd been caught. But when I was in church that Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, I was broken. I was overwhelmed with the reality that it was my sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. I was overwhelmed with the reality that God loved me, me, so much that he allowed his only son to die in my place. And I got to tell you, when I was overwhelmed with God's love and I was overwhelmed with my sin, I began to cry like a baby. Now, I know we're emotionally different. I understand that. But can I say to you, I am concerned. I'm concerned that somehow, some way, we have this idea today that we can come to Jesus without our emotions being touched. I remember the day. I remember the day when people would come to the altar weeping and crying and mourning because the Holy Spirit had gotten a hold of them. And I'm here to tell you, we don't see that much anymore. We see people of all ages, the young and the old, coming to say, well, I want to give my life to Jesus, kind of flippantly. Remorse over our sin, recognizing our sin. And then there's a third thing. We revise our lives. Paul defined repentance in 1, Timothy, 1 Thessalonians when he told us to turn, from God, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's repentance. We turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Repentance is something that begins on the inside as we recognize our sin. We have remorse over our sin, but then it's something that makes its way to the outside as we change the way we live. You see, some of us, hear me, some of us have had the first part. We've recognized our guilt. We've recognized that we deserve hell. It broke us. We had remorse. We came forward, but we never surrendered. We never surrendered. We wanted God to take our sins away, to take our guilt away, 
but we never gave him our life. And so we got up from praying, we went back to our seat, and nothing was changed. We lived the same way, and we wonder, why do I not have the joy that he talked about? Why do I not have the peace that he talked about? Why, why am I not sure of my salvation? The reason is you don't have it. You recognized your sin, you were broken over your sin, but you never surrendered your life. And the Apostle Paul says that when we repent, we turn to God from idols... To do what? To serve the living and true God. Our life has been changed. Our Lord has changed. Our master has changed. And so John said, Jesus said, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to repent and turn to God. You have to recognize that you are a sinner headed to hell and you can't do anything about it on your own. When you come to the realization that God loves you so much in spite of your sin that he sent his son, it should break your heart. And when it breaks your heart, it should cause you to fall on your knees and give your life to him. When you do that, he changes you. And he makes you brand new. Then you say, where does faith come in? Well, faith comes in when you believe that when you've confessed your sins and trusted Jesus and given your life to him, he saves you. And it's no longer based upon how you live. It's based upon his spirit living in you, making you new. So step one, turn from sin and turn to God. But there's a step two. Be baptized. Listen to what it says in Chapter 3, verse 6. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now notice how that verse begins, when they confessed their sins. I don't want you to miss that. Those who confessed their sins were baptized. Now, now don't think that baptism is a part of salvation. It's not. What the Bible is saying is those who confessed their sins, those who turned from sin and turn to God, the natural result was baptism. That's what they did. And the Bible makes it clear from the beginning of the New Testament to the end of the New Testament that every time people turn from sin and turn to God, they are baptized. There are no examples in the Bible that teach anything other than that. And you know what's amazing? Jesus was baptized. Now, Jesus didn't have to turn from sin, did he? He had no sin. He was sinless. And so why was Jesus baptized? Can I tell you? Jesus was baptized to identify with us. Because though he knew no sin, what did he do? He took on our sin so that we could take on the righteousness of God. And so as Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, he was baptized to identify with us. And now we are baptized, hear me, to identify with him. We see this every single time in the Bible. There's no example. There's no example of someone turning from sin and turning to God and yet refusing to be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, when... When Peter preached, 
the Bible says that people ask, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And it goes on in verse 41, and it says, those who gladly received the word were baptized. Gladly received. In other words, there were some who didn't gladly receive it. There were some in the crowd that day who heard the message. They may have even been convicted, cut to the heart, but they were never baptized. They didn't gladly receive the word. They didn't follow through. But those who gladly received the word were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is out in the desert and he comes upon the, the treasurer of Ethiopia and he shares with him the good news about Jesus and they see water and the Ethiopian says, why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you can. He said, I believe. And that moment, he was baptized. In Acts 16, Paul is in prison. He had just been beaten. He's singing praises to God. An earthquake comes. A jailer's about to kill himself. Paul says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer comes to Paul and says, there's something different about you. What do I need to do to be saved? Paul told him, and the Bible says that very hour, he and his entire family were baptized. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had gotten a hold of their life. They had repented. They had turned from sin. They had turned to God. And the next step, the next step was to confess him publicly. If you're here and you say, I am a Christ follower, but you've never been baptized as a Christ follower, you need to do that. You need to walk in obedience. Now, some of you may say, well, I was baptized as a baby. You weren't a Christ follower. You didn't make the decision to be baptized because you placed your faith in Jesus. Your parents sprinkled you with water because they were dedicating you to God. Baptism is a decision that we make once we turn from sin and turn to God showing that we have given our lives to Him. Step one, turn from sin, turn to God. Step two, be baptized. Step three, Prove you've been saved by the way you live. Look at verses 7 through 12. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. That's a way to grow a church, isn't it? I mean, a big crowd coming to hear John the Baptist preach. And, and what does he do? He calls some of them a brood of snakes. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is po poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down, thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I am, not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Don't miss that. Prove by the way you live that you've really repented. 
Now listen very carefully. This isn't working for our salvation. This is giving evidence of the fact that we've been saved. The, the Apostle Paul said the exact same thing. In Acts 26, verse 20, Paul was, was sharing what he had preached all over the world. And this is what he said, I have preached, repent, and turn to God and prove you have changed by the things you do. Repent, turn to God, then prove, give evidence that you've been changed by the way you live. You see, repentance that doesn't produce life change isn't real repentance. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible makes it clear throughout. So what do we need to do? Well, if you're here and you've never turned from your sin and turned to God, then you need to quit playing games. It doesn't matter how long you've been a church member. You need to quit playing games and turn from your sin and turn to God. If you're here and you've never been baptized, then you need to quit playing games. You need to publicly declare your commitment to Jesus today. And then third, you need to live your life in a way that proves that Jesus is now your Lord. You're not saved by the way you live, but when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you will want to live for him. Let me say that again. Hear me. Look at me. You're not saved by the way you live. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you will want to live for him. Your life has been changed. Now I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. Because I'm going to ask some of you to do something. It's going to take some courage right now. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And so if you're here this morning and you've never turned from sin and turned to Jesus to save you. And today you're ready to do that. Not just pray a prayer, not just play a game, but you're ready to turn from sin and turn to Jesus and let him save you. If you're here, you want to do that, I want you to stand right now. And every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you've not done that, stand. Anyone here? Anyone here? Okay, second. If you're here and you've never publicly professed your faith in Jesus by being obedient to him and being baptized, and today you're ready, you're saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be obedient to what God's word says I need to do. I want you to stand right now. Is there anyone here that says, I'm ready to take a step and be obedient? Anyone here? Anyone? Okay, third thing. If you're here and you know that your life, the way you've been living, is not proving, it's not giving evidence of the fact that you've turned from sin and turned to God, but today you're saying, I'm going to begin to live in a way that's pleasing to Jesus because I love him and I want to serve him. Then I'm asking you to stand right now. Anyone here? Thank you. Okay. With your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, I want everyone else to stand with me right now and join these who are standing. And I'm going to pray. Our pastors are going to come forward. 
And if God has touched your heart in any way, you're ready to turn from sin and trust Jesus. You're ready to be baptized. You need to just come to this, this altar and kneel down and say, Today, Lord, I'm being serious. I'm going to start living for you. And, and you're wanting to pray and leave sin at the altar and begin to live a life that proves that you follow him. Then, then I want you to come to this altar after I pray. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you right now to have your way in each and every one of our lives. Lord, I pray that no one will leave here without doing what your Holy Spirit is convicting them to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name.